the Impact Center at the University of Pittsburgh, supported by the National Institute of Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research, proudly present Impact Dick. On today's episode, This Is How We Do It, we continue our chat with Karin Lair and Drs. Laura Rice and Shanta Sarangopani. Recorded remotely from my soundproof bedroom closet in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, this is your host, Dr. Mary Goldberg, and welcome to our 14th episode of the Impactic Podcast Series. We're going to shift gears a little bit to discuss the process to market for rehab tech and assistive tech. And Shanta, I'm going to come back to you about your development experience since it is so diverse. Would you mind sharing what is unique about rehab tech and its path to market? As I said, this is my first Nidler uh, grant that I'm working on as as a described earlier, our model is a licensing model. So we have the go-to-market strategy is to bring the technology to a certain stage where we can do a demonstration and probably some clinical data and go with that data to the larger company and ask them about their interest. I mean, they have already shown interest in the project. So now we have to convince them to put some money into the project and co-develop it with us. So that is the strategy. And again, you know, we need, uh, I've hired a business development consultant who is constantly looking for partnerships. And we also have like offshoot technologies. When we do a project, you being an ideas person, always some of the new ideas come in and then we try to develop those and um, try to get companies interested in those. So uh, at least we keep them updated. You know, look, we are we are not revealing all our formula, everything, but at least we say, this is what we're working on. Would your company be interested in, in taking it further? Things like that. I think a business development person is a very important uh, uh, employee one should have. But unfortunately, you know, we cannot hire them full time. But I do have a couple of consultants who uh, who help me. So, thank you. And Karin, obviously, you are a representative from one of those larger companies. So I understand how it works when a small business brings an idea to you. How does it work from sort of concept to prototype to eventually getting out on the market um, when it's cultivated all in-house at at Permobile? Or is it? Yeah, so I can start from I can start from the from the perspective of you know, when someone approaches us, um, it's very common that some that we get approached with something that by the inventor, the one contacting us, you know, f- finds it done. Like this is, you know, you you just produce this and and and, and you're done. Um, and us being being very 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 skilled in the in you know in the long process that it takes to get a product to market would say then that the, you know that industrialization process is much longer than than one can think so then it then it really needs then it really needs to be a a, a good a good case um with it 
So before answering the, the question, I want to make the addition as well that in specific for assistive technology, we are on a global basis challenged by the reimbursement systems um, because we have reimbursement systems where the product performance isn't viewed upon enough. The products are are seen to be safe, but the expectance on on the products don't go much further than you know being safe and providing mobility. If we talk about if we talk about wheelchairs, so therefore we also know that when we have a reimbursement that's really on the basic level, and we have products that not yet get full recognition for what they do in the field and then when the new innovation comes on top of that we for many very many cases know that we will not be able to charge anything additional for this because it's um, unfortunately that way that the reimbursement systems look and we also if we see in the US where we have the um, completely financial decision being made by a you know a dealer uh, in in between, in uh, where you disregard, where you can disregard the, the the user needs that you want to meet with the with the product, that makes it even more challenging for us, uh, and and it makes the you know the barrier higher for us to add something new. So, to the question on how we do it, uh, it's very much that we uh, use the our existing technology and and step by step build onto that um, so that we we try to instead of shooting one individual to the moon we're trying to push the the greater the greater mass one step further up and that, and, and to the innovation part um, that that can then seem um, disappointing to to the to the innovators because it's like why don't you want to have this cool thing um but that's the thing i i have really gotten away from the cool things because the cool things can't be you can't get them as a as a user i even hate showing something that we might do in the future for 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 to a user because they get super excited but then it's like telling a kid to go into a candy store and it's like you can't have anything so disheartening yeah yeah absolutely yeah. lara from where you sit you know we are sometimes in this like ivory tower right where it's it's sort of all about the the cool idea like that's what's likely to get funded um and we are encouraged to think in in many ways like pie in the sky so seeing some of these barriers like you know the reimbursement challenge for example how does that impact the way that you might innovate and have some of your prior collaborations with industry? And, and I know you've collaborated with Karin in particular, helped to shape the, the innovative or creative process for you. Yeah, I definitely agree because the, the grants that get funded are usually very, very exciting, very, very much the cool things. And it is hard. Um, so I rely a lot on my clinical experience as a physical therapist. I really love to think about you know, what, what do people truly need? What is going to benefit them? And I also think a lot about you know what can get out there 
in the the relatively near future. It doesn't have to be something that comes out tomorrow, but um, I personally am not super involved in really long-term projects. I like to be able to work on technology products that that could be in somebody's hands in the next next five years or, or, or something like that. So I really try to balance that. And so thinking about my clinical experience, what people really need, um, what we can get in the hands of people. And then, like you said, I have collaborated quite a bit with industry. So I think I have a good sense from that, those collaborations of what is really possible. And then kind of have to kind of meet that middle ground of, you know, trying to make something sound really cool and interesting, but also practical to a funding source. And I, I really take a lot of time to think about, again, my clinical background um, and how this can be really useful. I do often integrate a lot of end users into my grant proposals um, to give input on, on the design of things to really get that user-centered design part in it. So I guess in general, it's very much a balancing act. I try to pull in all of these different resources and come together in some sort of middle ground that that is practical, that can be useful, that is something that can be reimbursed, but also makes uh, the funding source excited and happy. Sounds like engaging with each other you know, so to speak, right, as as representatives of your greater sectors would really pay off. Um, of course, engaging end users also kind of at every stage of the process. At what stage do you think you should be engaging each other? I know that Shanta also spoke to engaging consultants, for example, where she needs to kind of fill that skill gap. I think, Lara, you are fortunate, but you've worked really hard, right, to achieve, you've worn these different hats and you've been able to uh, build up the the clinical skill. You have the research skills, you have the the backing of academia behind you, plus you've, you've worked with industry. So you already kind of understand this, this landscape. So maybe we could start with you. At, at what stage do you think you need to engage other sectors in the innovation process? I think I think from the very beginning, um, as soon as I think about something, I just start talking to people about it. Um, so I'm fortunate to again have a lot of, of close people, close colleagues, um, friends, partners, and so on that that I can bounce these ideas off of. Um, I think probably the worst thing you can possibly do is just like go forward in this void and I'm like, okay, this is my idea. I think it's awesome. Um, I want to keep going with it. So I really start talking to people early on, even during like current studies that I'm doing, I'll often talk to my study participants and be like, Hey, you know, I was thinking about doing this or, you know, this project, I'm thinking like, this could be the next step or even like something that's related. You know, what do you think about that? And try to, to get their input. I do a ton of focus groups. Usually I feel like almost every grant I write, like the first stage is that I'm doing a systematic literature review and a focus group to get input into the product design or or the, the education program design. And I think, you know, reaching out to industry um, is very important as well. Again, you know, you want to know early on, like, if this is actually going to be feasible. And if it's not, then we need to, to find a way, another way to go. So I say early as possible. So Shanta, you spoke a little bit about the intellectual property challenges. And I'm curious how you've been able to navigate collaborations with those outside of your company in light of these challenges. 
in terms of collaborating with companies, um, basically it is, um, they look at our patent, but there is also what we call like additional information trade secrets that we, that we have. On our, our work is basically formulations, you know, we do like composition, chemical compositions. So um, we sometimes they ask for samples that we send to them for testing and um, they, they go through the testing and give us the data if they like it or not. So that kind of a thing. Um, the, the reason why I mentioned that was there was one company that um, evaluated my codings, everything, and then um, they took their own patent. I can only imagine how how frustrating, especially with limited resources, right, in a, in a small business, how that could be and, and really takes you back to square one. Oh, it's horrible. Um, and it's called policing, right? Big companies, they do what's called policing, and they keep looking at if somebody is violating their patent and things like that. We really cannot afford to do that. And if somebody is uh, is trying to do something, twist the claims or whatever, and they take a patent, we we just, I cannot afford anything, you know. So it has happened once, and that's why, you know, uh, I'm very careful about it. But I have a very good lawyer who is helping me that's right wonderful. now. You know, so. Yet another effective collaboration, um, engaging this, yes, for, yeah, for contract. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we are working with the with uh, with a company that is that has been acquired by a larger company. So um, hopefully, this this will be a good one. You know. So we are just waiting for the FDA approval of the of the clinical trial. So, Karin, I'm I'm curious about. <laughs> How, how someone can be successful in coming to you in, in pitching a particular I- idea. You are in this kind of position of power of, of what's going to be considered within the company and, and you know, essentially effectively make it out to, to market. So how can they get their ducks in a row? And, and could you comment on some of these successful pitches, so to speak, or components that, that these pitches have had? Am I to am I to tell the secret sauce? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I agree with Laura uh, in you know engage engage early uh, to know that you are look so that you are actually going in the right direction. Uh, we often um, we often put successful researchers and successful clinicians together and like you two talk and please come back because it's those two actually don't always match match right um so that's so that's uh, one part the other thing is um if you are to if this is and this is of course specific to assistive technology but if you are to study a some a behavior um or the use of the technology and need something f- for that documentation. Avoid spending time on like building these random prototypes, that, which takes a lot of, of the research time to do. And in the end, is nothing that a company would want to to use when they implement it. So instead, instead ask the the manufacturer about 
such a prototype because as an innovating company, that is what we have in our drawers. And it's so that's one thing. It, it's much easier than to be successful when you come back with your results if it's actually done on the you know on the prototype that already that already existed. Uh, and that is also to to uh, Shanta's uh, note. Uh, if I see from the from the corporate side, it it is very common that when someone pitches an idea, we already had that idea. So it's not that it was taken, but it was actually uh, not something that could even be patentable because it's something that's generally seen as a as a challenge uh, in in our field. But how to be successful in the in the in the works is really start early, have a plan for how to prove the value, and also a plan for how you could drive advocacy around it how can we as we look at it from a you know with a business case structure how can we actually drive a change with this new innovation it's been a pleasure speaking with all of you thank you so much i've learned so much from all of you and it's been a pleasure Stay tuned for our next episode, where we'll hear from more historically underrepresented innovators who have been successful in translating rehab tech to market. Until then, keep making an impact in whatever you do. If you like Impactic, please review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you again for tuning in and continue to make an impact in whatever you do. quick note from our sponsors. Impact initiatives are being developed under a grant from the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research. NIDLER is a center within the Administration for Community Living, Department of Health and Human Services. Impact initiatives do not necessarily represent the policy of NIDLER, ACL, or HHS, and you should not assume endorsement by the federal government, and the same goes for the University of Pittsburgh. We would like to thank our impactic guests and our production team led by Dr. Michelle Zoria at the University of Pittsburgh Department of Rehabilitation Science and Technology.